Good. All right. Would my lovely assistants please do their thing? While we're setting up, I want to tell you a story. Steve uh, Staub and I were talking about uh, overseeing the service. And uh, just right back there. One of us used the word officiating. And that word's been used in other denominations to indicate uh, whoever it is that's in charge of the service for that day. And it got me thinking, because I watch a lot of football. What if, what if a football official was the one overseeing the service? <laughs> what would they say? Illegal use of the hands on the offense, illegal use of the face mask on the defense, repeat grading for COVID. Or maybe encroaching the band in the stage before the service, loss of one song, no autographs. <laughs> or if there's a bunch of kids, personal foul. Hand sanitizer on the sibling. Leave the auditorium. Repeat sermon. <laughs> you could have a lot of fun with that. So what I'm going to do today is to introduce you to an old friend for the first time again. For some of you, an old enemy. Can introduce you to math. Is there, is there another school subject so polarizing? You don't hear people say, "I hate history," or at least I haven't heard that. You do hear some people complain about English, but math really seems to strike a nerve with people. So I'm hoping that we can work through some of that today. So I want to show you the whole picture of math, the real picture, maybe one you haven't seen before, and one I think a lot of people never see. I feel about math the way I think Jesus felt about religion, that it's been hijacked. It's been made more complicated than necessary. And that there's a much simpler, easier way to do it. Maybe even a way that you can enjoy. And maybe even a way that will bring glory to God the way it was intended. Because, of course, Satan didn't make math. God did. We didn't invent it. We discovered it. We're piecing it together. We're beginning to understand. But He made it. We'll talk about the scripture to back that up here in just a little bit. So, I am called to take math back. So that's what I'm going to do today. On your sheet that a lot of you have, if you don't, there are more out in the foyer area. I've got three columns. I've got math, I've got the Christian walk, and I've got the principle applied principle that I'm going to use to illustrate both. And the first one is that math was revealed to display God's glory 
and to help us with problems. No pun intended. <laughs> no homework here, no tests, no pressure, no guilt, no embarrassing call-outs. Just a tour through the world I was led into years ago and that God used to make me who I am. Now imagine you're back in school. Jim Garrett would be the first one to arrive. Carl and Dory and Dave Mason are greeting classmates at the door. Bill and Jim Grinnell are talking too much. Larry and Bud Green and Gordon are telling stories. Kwong and Steve Staub are impressing each other with their new phones. Art, Al Guarneri, Spencer, and Tom McIndorfer have already become fast friends and invited each other to birthday parties. Jason Feathers, Mark Radzinski, and Chuck Shepard are collecting papers. Jim Downing, Tom Buck, Jason Lawrence, and Dallas Henry are singing in the corner. James Manchester is explaining to Mark Garrett how his motorcycle works. Hal and Ned Harkins are reading ahead and already finished with tomorrow's homework. Steve Sperber, Mike Bros, and Joel have already raised their hands. Bruce and Dave Troutman and Al Baker have to explain that they weren't held back a year. They're just tall for their age. And Paul Bergard, John Failer, Joe Beck, and Jerry Dunn have built catapults out of pencils and rubber bands. You remember school now, don't you? It's just the way it was. <laughs> First in math comes arithmetic. Arithmetic is just the numbers and the operations. And it makes sense once we begin to work with it, right? We're dealing with real things and real amounts, concrete objects, right? The principle here is that we're dealing with something concrete that's immediately applicable. It's a description of reality, right? I see two things, I see two more things, that's four things. We don't get arguments here. People don't go, that doesn't make sense. The four operations go with them, adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. And you're going to use these numbers and these operations in every math problem you do for the rest of the time you do math, in some form or another. These are important your whole life, no matter what your profession. But then we get to the next thing. We suddenly find out that it's not enough just to understand. I understand that 3 times 4 is 12, but I don't always write 3 times 4 equals 12. What do you often write instead? 3 times 4 is 7. Oh, wait, no, that's not right. But why do we do that? We learn, we come face to face with the fact that practice is required. You cannot get math right on a consistent basis unless you practice. You might get it right accidentally once in a while. I've had students that are 
so frustrated with math and so hopeless about their ability to understand it that when they come to a multiple choice test, they just pick random things. I've had students, when they don't know how to do a problem, they make something up. That doesn't work. <laughs> math isn't creative writing. It's not the kind of thing you could make up unless you're God. Because with him, everything's connected and it all makes sense from his perspective. But you can't make math up. You've got to practice it to get it right consistently. Getting it right once in a while is not good enough, is it? Especially if you're an engineer. You've got to get it right every time. People's lives are on the line. So practice is required. And if you do practice, what do you find out? If you practice it and practice it past the point of being meaningful, you start to find out that you're fast. You start to find out you're actually good at some of this. How many of you felt like you were really good at your, math, at your multiplication tables when you were young? Wasn't that fun? You're like, ooh, I got it. Yeah. Nailed it. Isn't that a great feeling? Not everybody gets that feeling from math. Even the people who do well in arithmetic don't always keep that same feeling all the way through. But when you do get that feeling, you want it again, don't you? I got it right. Maybe I can get the next one right. Ooh, I got three in a row. Maybe I can make it four. I just learned my times tables by five. Maybe you can learn it by six. Success leads to hope, doesn't it? Some of us were never, ever trained or required to know our facts or pushed to get them right every time. We were allowed to get sloppy. We were allowed to do less than our best, develop bad habits, and learn math wrong. Probably most of you have one particular arithmetic problem that you get wrong more than the rest. For me, it's 16 minus 7. I don't know why, but I struggle with that. I keep wanting to put 11 instead of 9. I don't know why. Most of us have something like that that doesn't make sense that we just struggle with. So our tendency is to want to just give up, right? Ignore it, and maybe it will go away. Sorry, it's math. It's not going away. When you are allowed to get sloppy or be undisciplined, it leads to discouragement and confusion. You start to think, well, if I can't get this right, how am I ever going to get the rest of math right? You start to think, well, if I miss that problem, 
How many others did I miss? You start to expect to miss. You start to expect to get things wrong. You begin to train yourself to despair rather than to courage. This is why it's so important to practice these so much. It's training, not just for the facts. It's training for your confidence. It's training for your heart, even more than for your mind. I had a student years ago, high school junior, getting ready to take the ACT, driving on her own, able to dress herself, feed herself, all these things you would expect of a young adult, counting on her fingers in Algebra 2. And I just, I shook my head. It made sense once I saw that. I understood why she had such an inferiority complex. She seemed to struggle with confidence over the simplest things. And then I understood. She didn't believe she could do the simplest things because she didn't. She had years, probably a decade or so, of failure to work against. That's why I call it math abuse. And I'm called to fix that. Because it's more than just the numbers, as we'll see. Practice makes permanent. Preparation builds confidence. Failure and disappointment create emotional resistance, and then you have to take responsibility to face and overcome those, and we don't want to do that. A life lived in fear is a life half-lived. Learn that from a movie. That is not what God wants. Then comes the next thing. We have to deal with negative numbers. That's a little scary. The idea that you can work with an amount that's less than zero blows your mind the first time, doesn't it? Below zero temperatures, that's really cold. Owing money, that's slavery according to Proverbs and Dave Ramsey. Multiple opposing messages that apply to the same object. That's the news in politics. Scary stuff. I found that the key is to simplify. You cut through the noise, you don't use no double negatives. Not in English, not in math. Let me explain. Why do you need two signs on a number? You don't. All you need is one. But I have seen textbook after textbook and teachers who follow the textbooks write garbage like this. This is confusing. What the heck? Why is it all so different? Why do you need four different ways to say the same thing? I don't know. I don't use them all. This is the only one I use because that's what all, well, all but this one. That's what these two both mean. Is it minuses? Is it negatives? Is it takeaways? Which one is it, teacher? They're all the same. Why did we make it complicated? 
Why did we invent something so difficult? Oh, wait, we're human. We tend to do that, don't we? You start to deal with negatives and you realize that you can have a whole lot of confusion in your life if you're not careful. So principle number five, when you've got multiple signs, you've got to simplify. Get rid of the multiples. Make it simple. Make straight pathways for your feet, the Bible says. It's the same thing for your brain. Don't set up a world that's complicated for yourself. Because I found out after 20 plus years of teaching math, the more pieces that you have in your problem, the more likely you are to make a mistake. Are you more likely to lose a piece if you're only dealing with five or if you're dealing with 5,000? So simplify. Fewer pieces means fewer mistakes. Fewer signs means fewer mistakes. And fewer mistakes means more confidence. And that's important. Apologies to my wife, who I'm sure has heard all of this more times than she cares to remember. Thanks anyway. You need to listen to the one sign, the one message that you need, not all the rest. There are so many perspectives and so many points of view and so many opinions out there, but you don't need all of them. You can't even make time to hear all of them. Don't bother. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. That's the one we need. When we start heading into middle school, (laughs) pimples and all, uh, we start running into these guys. Fractions, decimals, and percents. We start learning that life's not elementary school anymore. It's not all primary colors and it's not all whole numbers. There's pieces of things. The world is more complicated than we thought. And because it's more complicated, it's a little scary at first. But don't worry. Your helpful math teacher will make sure you understand. Right? No? Oh, you poor people. The people who are supposed to be taking care of us when we run into this don't always. Some do. There are some very good math teachers out there that make sure their kids really get it. But not all of them do. Part of it is because not all the math teachers understand. Some people, because of other circumstances inside the district, inside the building, have been shoved into a job for which they are not actually qualified. I have met many an elementary, schooled, trained personality teacher who's really good at elementary, but they, for some reason, get pushed into a middle school math position and they're out of their depth. And they know it. They do the best they can, but... That's a hard spot to be in. I know because I was used to teaching high school and I tried to teach elementary for a year. (laughs) Hope I didn't ruin anybody. 
So we find out that it's more complicated. And when we do, when we run up against something that shows us that, whoops, the way we were looking at the world is not adequate. It's not wrong, it's just not big enough, right? It doesn't have enough parts in it. We get frustrated because, darn it, that means we have to learn things. It means we have to change things. That's work. Yeah, right? How many of you parents have complained about having to learn the new math? Line from the movie The Incredibles 2, where Mr. Incredible is at home trying to help his kids with their homework, and he says, why would they change math? Math is math. I can sympathize. (laughs) One of the things that you have to do when the world is more complicated is you have to learn And that's work. But you know what? All of the great things that we love, we had to learn, didn't we? We didn't come out of the womb understanding, knowing, experiencing all the things we love. We had to learn them. We had to try them the first time once, didn't we? And it was a little scary. Maybe it was some work. Maybe now that you've been doing this profession for 20 years, you're like, yeah, this is a great, but you didn't think that at the beginning. All learning is work, but eventually it's fun. Math was not my favorite subject in school. I was all right at it. Had good teachers. But history was what I really enjoyed. And then God made me an unqualified success. I say that because I'm inherently unqualified to be a math teacher, apart from my experience. I took no math classes in college, did not take math education classes in college. I was studying to be a science teacher. I liked cutting up dead bodies. Yeah, I'm that guy. Dead bodies, I said. But I didn't take any math classes in college, and on a whim, nudge from the Holy Spirit, I took the certification test for algebra and geometry and passed it. Got hired by Tulsa Public to teach middle school math, and for the next 20 years, math's mostly what I did. God blessed it in spite of me. I was able to help a lot of students, and I think at least partly because I didn't have training in how to be a math teacher. I tell this to you so that you'll be encouraged if God calls you to do something for which you think, (laughs) me? Think about all the people in the Bible that God used who were inherently unqualified. Moses? Not me, Lord. Can't talk so good. Gideon? I'm the youngest in the least clan. I'm out here hiding fresh and gra- Me? Remember what the angel said to him? The Lord is with you, warrior. Yeah, you. God wants you to do this thing that you're not qualified for. Guess what? Doesn't matter. Not that you shouldn't try to get qualified. Not that you don't have things to learn, but... It doesn't mean that you can't start. I'm sure every one of our missionaries and every one of you that's been on the mission field has felt that way. Because it's a scary thing to take on something new. 
even if you believe in it, even if it's true, even if it's demonstrated that it can be done, it's still scary to, to start out. It's okay. Your math teacher is supposed to be there to reassure you. I will help you. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. With percents, it's particularly difficult in some instances because of the way the questions are worded. you remember word problems with percents? You may have blocked it out as a traumatic memory. They're hard at first until you learn the pattern. Is it better to have 50% of 100 or 150% of 40? Well, we learned that with problems like this, you can't just make something up and write it down. You can't just react. You have to think. You have to be deliberate. Sometimes you have to think for a long time before you finish the problem and get the right answer. Because wrong answers are very quick, very easy to do, aren't they? You can make up a wrong answer like that and be done. But guess what? It's wrong. Life's the same way. You can make up a wrong answer real quick. All of us can remember times where we've done that, I think. But they cost us something. They cost us the habit of discipline and courage. When you work it through, when you do think, when you struggle and you fight and you actually do get through it to the end and you get the right answer, oh, bring it on. That's how you feel. Okay, that's how I felt when I did those problems. But think about something hard that you accomplished in your life. Think about a really tricky problem, puzzle that you figured out. It does something to you. You start to feel a little bit of a swagger. Just a little. You're like... Yeah, I, I finished that, beat that, conquered that, figured that out. Yeah. That's valuable. We need a little bit of that. That's why this is so important. This is foundational to being an adult, let alone being a Christian. You don't have confidence. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's not going to work for very long. You need to know that you can do things. And this is what math is supposed to teach you. It takes courage to submit to those rules, to write down every step on the page. How many of you remember arguing with a teacher? But I can do it in my head. Yes, you can. Good for you. Keep doing it in your head, but write it down too because I know where you're going. And those problems you can do in three steps in your head, are they going to stay that small and that simple? No. No, they're not. 
Life is going to get big and hairy and complicated and it might happen sooner than you think. So get in the habit of writing it down so that when you make a mistake, when you make a mistake, because you will, you'll be able to find the mistake and fix that little sign or that little arithmetic error. Nine times out of ten, the mistake you make on a math problem is due to carelessness, going too fast, not paying close attention to what you're doing. It is not because you're bad at math. That is a myth. It is not true. You are not bad at math. You can be sloppy at math. You can be undisciplined at it. But most of the time, it's not true that you didn't get it. It's that you weren't focused all the way through to the end. And your brain skipped something. And you didn't realize it. So, as with most things, including video games, once you master a level, you have to learn new skills to master the next level. After middle school... How does math change? What does it become after that? Algebra! Yay. Everyone's favorite, I can tell. Thank you. Love those engineers. All right. (laughs) Algebra takes arithmetic and works it backward. That's all it is. It's the same arithmetic steps, it's the same operations, it's the same numbers, but it's backwards instead of forwards. Instead of taking numbers to put together and get an answer, you take an answer and figure out which numbers you have to have to get that answer. You ever used that skill before? You guys use it every dadgum day, I promise you. That mental skill is necessary. But we don't usually tell students about algebra that way, do we? That might have been the first time you actually made a connection between algebra and real life. And if it is, I'm terribly sorry. I would love to have been your teacher and fixed that. But maybe we can do it here. Because it gets more complicated with algebra, we need help. <laughs> We need reminders of the truth. And we need correction. Because we all make mistakes, don't we? We all miss problems. We do our best. We're on. We think we got it. And then the teacher says, nope, you missed that. You missed it. And you're like, oh, after all that? Yes, after all that. Happens in your adult life, doesn't it? I gotta redo that. I always thought it was funny. A a comedian talked about ants. You know, they make all these complicated tunnels and everything. He was holding up one of those ant farms where you can see in a cross section. You know, through the ant hill, all all little tunnels and stuff. And he said, "Ants are hilarious. They're so not like people. Because if you were to take an ant farm and an ant hill and do this." mess it all up, right? The ants immediately start building more, digging more. It's like they didn't even notice. 
humans? <laughs> what would we do? We'd be like, I'm not doing that again. It's ridiculous. All that work, man, for nothing. Except it's not for nothing. All that work. You ever tried to, to train a child to do anything? Isn't it much the same? It's a song by Sarah Groves called Setting Up the Pins and Knocking Them Down that expresses that concept. The video shows her and her family going through a day and all the work, the maintenance stuff they have to do, you know, the clothes and the food and the getting the kids out and kids coming home and all. This prepares you in so many ways for real life. And that's why it's so important to do it right. We need reminders of the truth. Like Bill was preaching about, was it last week? Two weeks ago? Remember to remember. Oh yeah, 16 minus 7. Satan knows which problems we forget. So as we go, we need instruction, correction, training in righteousness. Wait, that's in Timothy, isn't it? We need help from someone who knows more than we do. We need correction from people who look at us from the outside. Because we give ourselves plenty of excuses on the inside, don't we? We get confused, we get distracted, we get frightened. We make things up. And because of that, we start to take mm, shortcuts. We try to find the easy way to do less than what is required because, darn it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. I don't want to have to put all that in. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Remember what you're doing. You are training your heart for courage. That is what you are doing. Math is not about the numbers. It's not why we teach it. It's not why we ought to be teaching it. The most important thing about learning math is because it trains your brain to work a certain way. It gives you a skill set that you do not get the same way from other subjects. And you need that skill set. Because if you don't learn it with math, you'll learn it from something else. You've got to have it to be a Christian. You've got to have it to be an adult. We need these things. We need to know these things. We need to remember how much trouble we get in with shortcuts. We all make mistakes. I'm going to add that in here. Shortcuts and mistakes. There's not a person in the math class that doesn't use the eraser, including the teacher. I can't tell you how many times I've been up in front of a bunch of teenagers in all my glory just going at it, and one of them says, Mr. Thorpe, isn't, shouldn't that be a five? I'm like, oh. <clears throat> Yes. We need to learn a little humility, don't we? We need to learn, too, that just because we learned our fives tables 
and so-and-so didn't, that doesn't mean we're better than they are. It's not all about the fives tables, is it? Everyone makes mistakes in math, in life. Everyone needs help in math, in life. It's one of the great things about the liturgical church worship that I have uh, enjoyed is that um, everyone confesses sin at the same time. I used to go to an Episcopal church where, where they had the kneeling benches, and I loved it when we would all kneel at the same time and all of us out loud were confessing sin. It totally levels the playing field. You don't look around and, and see whose nose is higher in the air. All of our noses are down on the ground because that's, that's where we are. We are nothing without the help of our master. So, let's see, number nine, number 10, number 11. Yes, all of us get discouraged. All of us get tired of the work. We grow weary in well-doing. But God gives us hope. He reminds us that it can be done. It is doable. We find hope in unexpected places. God sends people into our lives that we didn't expect. He helps us find a tutor for math or he helps uh, another student help us out. Something comes along. If you're looking for help, God will help you find it. If you're searching for the truth, God will help you find it. He wants you to find it after all. And the last thing, I'm going to put it over here. It really helps in math class and in other classes to maintain a good relationship with the teacher and the other students. Because those students might be able to help you out. And it's always good to have a good relationship with your teacher. Because if they see you as someone who's trying their hardest, they will probably have favor on you. I know this because I've been a teacher and I've seen those students. They aren't making an A, but they're giving it all that they've got. They're being honest, they're being faithful, and even though their scores aren't perfect, I will do anything for that student. They don't usually come to ask me very much, but when they do, I am focused. And then there's the student who, who just blows through it all, knows all the answers, makes perfect scores, disrupts class, and when they want help, I'm like, uh, nah. Not so much. I had a student one time who, in the last three to four weeks of the semester, right before semester finals, she was gone like three or four days a week. She was in two choirs and a couple of dance competitions and her church was doing a play, something like that. She was just in a whole bunch of stuff. She didn't plan very well for semester finals. And she made a 30% on the final. Well, I went over that with a fine-tooth comb looking for every point I could give her and there just weren't any. She ended up making a 69.4 for the semester because of it. If you've ever been a teacher, you don't like 69.4. 
because it's not enough for a what? It's not enough for a C. She begged and whined and pleaded. Her dad begged and whined and pleaded. And I said, the line has been drawn for me by the school. This is where it is. She didn't make it. I'm sorry. A year later, her dad came back and asked me again to change the grade. I don't know what he needed it for, but it mattered. Those three or four weeks where she didn't plan ahead, where she didn't maintain a good relationship with her teacher, mattered. A year later. Mm. Blah, 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 blah. Now for the fun part. We're back in church now. Joel, Mike, and Steve are still raising their hands. Now, we know that math and that we actually were revealed to display God's glory. We know that God sends us things to help us with our problems. Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 to 31, talks about wisdom personified. And how wisdom was with God at the beginning when he designed and made the whole universe intentionally. He made it work. Science continues to confirm the incorruptible, incontrovertible, infinite, and mathematical construction of the universe. Second, concrete and applicable. You read Romans chapter 7. It goes to great lengths to describe our understanding of sinful reality. Verse 13, sin to be recognized as sin was producing death in me through what is good so that sin might become sinful beyond measure, even beyond the measurement of math. As we progress, we learn we have to practice. We all stumble in many points, James says. All the New Testament writers encourage the brethren to continue in good works, to remember what they were taught, to expect the world to work against them. You've got to practice this. It's not going to come easy. Jesus used the analogy, the uh, parable about the seeds. He talked about weeds and thorns choking out the good seed, stumbling under persecution and falling by the wayside. If you give up practicing the truth, you know that's what you're looking at. Sometimes even when you're practicing, that's what you're looking at. John Eldridge is fond of reminding us that every joy is deeply opposed. This is a world at war. You have a crucial role to play. And if we don't remember that, it twists our interpretation of everything else. We've got to practice the truth if we want it to stick, just like you have to practice the times tables if you want it to stick. And you have to practice it not just enough to go, yeah, I think maybe I got it. Remember in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the silver chair, Aslan talks to Jill Pole up in his country, and the air is clear, and she's able to think clearly and focus, and the clarity is amazing. And Aslan says, don't expect that to last 
up here it's easy to remember. Down there it is not. You will have to practice these signs I'm giving you every day in order to remember them when you need them. This is what we're in for. Just like your times tables. You have to practice the truth of God's word and what you believe and why you believe it if you want it to stick. Because it's going to come under attack. Guaranteed. And it's not good to get sloppy, is it? We get sloppy, bad habits, learning it wrong. What if we learned God wrong? You ever stop to think about that? What if you learned God wrong? What if you thought he was like your math teacher? Or your dad? If you didn't have a good one? What if you thought that's what God was like? It's important to learn the truth. It's important not to be sloppy in learning. All the prophets throughout the Old and New Testament were similar in that they kept dragging God's people back to the truth that they'd already been told and had chosen to ignore or forget. It wasn't anything new. The prophets never told the people anything new about God. It was always the same. Justice for the oppressed. Righteousness in your daily life. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord Always the same kind of thing. And the people just didn't grab a hold of it. Our enemy, the deceiver, the author of confusion, works diligently to present us with (laughs) multiple signs and complications, doesn't he? In this election year, that's been made very clear if you watch the news at all. Heck, just talking about COVID, all the confusion and the multiple conflicting messages there. Talk to any person long enough and you will find conflicting messages because all of us have them. If you look at your own life long enough, you'll find conflicting messages like, wait a minute, did I really mean to do that? Was that me? Sorry. How do we get out of that? Jesus' sheep hear his voice, and they will not follow the voice of the stranger. 1 John 4.1 says to test every spirit against God's word. And Jesus said in Matthew 7.20, we would know people by their fruits. You can know the truth. As conflicted and confusing as the world is, you can know enough truth to do the next thing that God wants you to do. You may not be able to understand everything about everything, but you don't need that. That's too much for you anyway. You don't have time. But you can know enough. You can find enough truth to know that you're doing what's right. God will make sure of it. In the New Testament, Jesus condemned not just our actions, but our thoughts, our attitudes, our desires, our secrets as being fair game for sin. That's requiring more than any law of the Old Testament ever could. Remember when you realized that you actually were like that Pharisee in the parable, the Pharisee and the publican? Glad I'm not like that. Oh, no. 
we discover the world is more complicated than we thought. That we ourselves are more complicated than we thought. And the New Testament is like algebra in this way. It says, this is the goal. This is the answer. Now, here's what you have to do to get there. Here are the numbers to put into the equation. Here's the equation to use if this is what you are aiming for. That kind of reverse thinking. That's algebra. That's the New Testament. Nearly every epistle is full of practical behavior direction for us. What to think about. What to do. What to focus on. Those are the pieces of the problem. Suddenly slaughtering doves and oxen, paying taxes and listening to the Pentateuch isn't what defines us. Jesus shows up and rocks everybody's world. Jesus shows us who God really is and always has been. We've just forgotten. We've gotten sloppy. We've gotten off. We believed something that wasn't quite true. We have to be corrected. We hear Jesus remind us to choose the narrow path and the difficult way. We find admonitions to guard our tongues in James and the Psalms. We also find admonitions to stay alert, 1 Peter 5.8 and Mark 13, and to never cease praying, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Instruction and correction in righteousness. How does the rest of that verse in Timothy go? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. (sighs) Bring it on. That's what it's supposed to do. God doesn't give us armor so we can walk out like this. We're not slap fighting with the devil here. I'm trying to think of an image. Maybe I'll think of one in a minute. We need correction and instruction from the Master. Paul admonishes Timothy to stay grounded in the Scriptures, to be diligent and not to tire in what he does. We learn from Psalm 139 that God's Spirit searches us and knows us. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus understands our humanity. Hebrews 12 and Proverbs 3 explain that the Father disciplines those He loves. Our math teacher corrects us not because they hate us. It's not personal. Maybe you thought it was when you were in junior high because everything was back then, but it's not personal. God corrects those he loves, and it is personal. And it's his love that's personal. If he didn't care about you and just let you go on your merry way, you'd be dead. You'd be headed for destruction. Guaranteed. That's all we can do apart from him. But because he loves us, he takes us by the ear and says, Nope! Here! Focus here! Stop messing with that stuff. And we go, okay. That's what he does. That's that's what's supposed to happen. 
God's supposed to correct us just like the math teacher would be a bad math teacher if they never corrected you. Maybe you had one of those. I'm sorry. But a teacher's job is to make sure you are trained to do it right, consistently, under pressure. So that when something really important, that's not a test, it's not school, when something really important comes up as an adult, you will still have that skill and you will still be consistent under pressure then. That's what this is about. It is not about the numbers. It is not about the scores. It is about God's plan at work in your life in something important. Because this is a war and you have a crucial role to play. Whether it's math or not, you need this. We need correction. We need instruction. And we're all going to get tired. That's why we also need each other. How many one another's are there in the New Testament? A lot. We need each other. We learn that all of us make mistakes. We all fall short. We're justified freely only by His grace. And we need to remind each other of that. It's vital to stay in touch with God, the teacher, as well as with other students. That's the church. Lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to. There we go. Math is one way that God has helped me learn about Him. If you like math, you can now use it to help yourself and others walk with God a little closer, I hope. With a little more confidence. A little more of, hey, what do they have? I want that. Hey, who do you know? There's a door. Door for evangelism. If you like math and you got this coming through school, that's what you can use it for. If you didn't like math because you didn't got this when you were coming through school, that is not your fault, at least not entirely. We all have a tendency towards sloppiness. But if you didn't got this, this is your chance to go back and redo it in your head to see what you didn't see then and to understand what wasn't told to you then. That math, like other things that God has made and that we're supposed to learn has a deeper purpose than just what you saw in school. Math was made, was revealed to glorify God and help us with problems and not just the math kind. Math is to help us walk better with God and better with each other. God's plan for you includes your relationship with math as practice for your relationship with Him. That's the whole point. 
a relationship with Him. And whatever subject you're in, whatever job you're in, whatever relationship you're in, God is in it somewhere. Look for Him. Maybe you won't see all of this the first time you look, but look, it's important. Jesus is great. And math isn't horrible. It might even help you walk with Jesus when all is said and done.